opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about how the current mortgage market is giving some people flashbacks to the SNL crisis, also what Fannie Mae's latest forecast means for margins, and more. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Sarah. Great to have you on. Wow, your newsroom has put out so many great stories. You know, I'm the one who um, usually lines up the the stories for the next day for our AM alert. And this whole week has been like, I don't know how to choose between these stories <laughs> because <laughs> it's a lot of news going on. But also, I mean, you guys are doing, uh, you know, you're doing breaking news. You're really doing a lot, getting a lot of scoops and then doing some long features that are super interesting. And and that's the first one I want to talk about today, uh, which is by uh, Bill Conroy, and it's Specter of the SNL Crisis Haunts Today's Mortgage Market. Woo! That is a, that is a crazy good story. Yeah, and this is a, this is kind of a throwback. This is a shout out to our our older listeners who actually remember the SNL crisis. I was I was but a child when all of this occurred. So <laughs> you know, my my personal recollection is is a uh, well basically non existent. You know, I was not a six year old who was particularly interested in uh, you know the, the fate of thrifts uh, back in like 1991. So uh, so for me, you know, it was, it was a little bit of research that was required as well. But but yeah, it's it's a great story. And and um, you know, I I think for those who are not very familiar, of course, many different factors that led to the savings and loan crisis of the 80s, uh, and it resulted in a government bailout and um, and and a huge number of thrifts went out of business. I, I believe in the Late 1980s, this uh, this government organization that was set up uh, a trust to oversee and, and dispose of the assets of these failed thrifts, they closed 747 with assets totaling more than 407 billion dollars. And and you know, <laughs> it's it's one of those crazy scenarios where there were banks that would rather bulldoze a condo in in Texas. Then uh, continue to build it because it was cheaper for them to do that, and um, and so I, I don't personally think that you know we're we're going to be entering a period in which um, you know we see a massive systemic failure of our mortgage banking system, but I do think that there's a very high likelihood that 
uh, a huge number of non-bank mortgage lenders do go out of business. And, and that's because, you know, this is a numbers game and the numbers don't look good. You know, there are only so many financial organizations, uh, you know, that, that don't take deposits that have enough cash to sustain financial losses quarter after quarter. And so Bill talks to a guy named Tom Capassi. He's a managing partner and a co-founder of a New York-based waterfall asset management. And then they're a global alternative investment manager. They've got like $11 billion in asset under management. And they do a lot of asset-backed credit, whole loans, private equity, you know, that, that whole mess. And, uh, and, and they see huge headwinds in the independent mortgage banking industry coming over the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, he, he notes that, you know, that the major problem right now is there's, there's not a lot of obvious business. You know, there's very low hanging fruit. There's just not much of it. And so, you know, 85% of the U.S. mortgage market in 2021 was ready for a refi. <laughs> and, and they did, you know, millions and millions of people took advantage of extremely low rates and, and, you know, have in a lot of cases payments that are, you know, $1,100 a month for a very nice house in a nice area that has appreciated in value tremendously. And if you look at the numbers, we have something like it's, it's almost 4,500 independent mortgage banks in the U.S. And if you think about how many of them are even breaking even, let alone making money, I would say probably half, maybe, maybe less are actually breaking even right now. And, and so, of course, origination volumes have fallen by 50, 60, in some cases, 70%. But it's also, more importantly, the margins have fallen uh, by you know, 75, 80%. And so there is going to result in a lot of fallout whenever you have those ingredients. You know, it's going to be a bad tasting cake. And, uh, and so you know, there are going to be a lot more uh, mergers and acquisitions over the upcoming year. Bill talked to you. Uh, the folks at Stratmore, of course, which is a kind of a mortgage consultancy, uh, do a lot of M&A uh, advisory. And they have, uh, I, I think there were 29, 30 deals in 2021, and we're already over 25 in 2022. Wow. And uh, it could be double that, you know, by the end of the year. And it's it's what you would expect. It's It's mostly large you know, independent mortgage banks, and they're going to be buying up the smaller independent mortgage banks. And and we're seeing that, you know, even some heavy hitters. So guaranteed rate, of course, you know, the news that we broke last week is that guaranteed rate had had an agreement with Finance of America to purchase their forward retail division. And, and they walked away from the talks. We don't have all the details, uh, but we know they decided not to go through with it. Um, and, and as a result, Finance of America is, is going to be looking for other buyers. And, and you know, we know that they're not the only one out there. And, and that's a big, that's a comparatively big fish. You know, they're, they're what, like a top 30 independent mortgage bank in America. And so if, if a company like FOA is struggling, you know, you know, how many smaller companies out there are just, they're going to have to fold or find a buyer. I think the interesting thing is like how much business the you know independent mortgage banks do for mortgage, right? We we had the big banks pull back after the financial crisis; it just wasn't worth it for them to do mortgage. And so, who stepped in to fill that void and and did a really good job were the independent mortgage banks. So interesting to think that you know those are the ones who are most at risk now. We, we see that, like you said, that I mean, it feels like every day. Unfortunately, we have to you know. Um, 
talk about layoffs. Although, you know, I've been to how many conferences now <laughs> this season? <laughs> no one can keep count. I think this is my fifth or or something. And, you know, one of the things that's really striking is how much people are like, hey, this is it. Right sizing sounds like PR speak, but it really isn't. It's like, it's really is taking like, this is the volume we have. This is how many people we need to handle that volume. And that, that's what's going to have to happen. That's what we see every single week, every single day sometimes in our industry. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> the, the numbers don't lie. If, if your margins were 250, 300 basis points, but your volume was, you know, a factor of three higher than it is now. Um, you have a lot of people right now in, in your office that aren't doing a lot of work. And it's it's extremely unfortunate. There are so many talented professionals, especially in operations, and they just don't have much work to do. And that's, you know, largely because the Fed has decided that they're going to tamp down inflation um, no matter what, you know, and, and they're going to use every tool at their disposal, which is really just interest rates, right? And, and uh, you know, MBS, there, there are going to be thousands more out of a job. You know, if, if you look back to the height of the, the mortgage boom of, you know, 2020, 2021, we had about 400,000 workers in, uh, in, in these non-bank jobs and volume is nowhere close to where it was then. And so by some estimates, all things said, we might have to shed 100,000 jobs to actually right size, you know, commensurate with where the volume is. And <laughs> I mean, that's a huge number. Now, again, there are 4,400 mortgage banks in the country. If, you know, layoffs are going to vary based on how well positioned uh, some of the companies were to adjust to a leaner or meaner or purchase focused market, but um, no one's going to be unscathed. You know, it's not, it's not possible. There are maybe like a few extremely rare birds that, that are very well positioned, maybe like a credit union, for example, in some cases have been doing much better. And that's partly because, you know, they, they have different types of products and, and uh, you know, home equity uh, credit products that are quite in demand right now. Um, but the average, independent mortgage bank, uh, they're, they're going to be competing with, you know, thousands of others. And the difference between making money on that loan and not is how many staffers work it, you know, how, how big, you know, how much you can scale down, um, and still do a good job because you still have to win that business. Right. And that's, and that's the challenge. How much can you cut while still fulfilling your duties is a mortgage banker or, or a broker, right? And actually serving the customer. And, and so that's, that's, I think, where we're really going to find, um, you know, how scary this is. I think that's true. Now, you know, the main source there says it's, it's going to look something like the SNL crisis in some ways, but one of the really important ways that it won't look like that is, you know, it's not like you're going to have uh, taxpayer bailouts or, you know, anything like a, an asset liquidation a agency like the RTC, um, because really it's going to be more about just market forces, yep. right? Yeah. And I don't think there's any systemic risk to, you know, there, there's, there's no credit issue, right? And we have so many uh, homeowners who are locked in with really low rates and they're not in a position where they have to sell unless, of course, 
things really snowball and, and we have a jobs crisis. And then, you know, that, that becomes a whole different uh, can of worms. But but yeah, for the most part, I, I definitely agree that, um, you know, the, the challenge is how do we, how do we uh, manage the industry losses, which is different than, you know, consumer losses, right? Um, and what's interesting here is in any market, there are going to be companies that are well positioned to capitalize on on you know the tumult, the losses, the problems that are, are more acutely plaguing others. And so there was a recent report by uh, KBW, Keith Briott Woods, and and they talk a lot about these companies that are really could be potential acquirers. And so they list, you know, Rocket Mortgage, United Wholesale Mortgage, Mr. Cooper, and then they also detail some of the companies that could be potential acquisition targets or merger targets. And so you get down to the companies that we've written a lot about of late that have, you know, had some some financial challenges. Uh, Loan Depot, right? You know, they've been reducing their, um, you know, their lending capacity by about 1.5 billion over their, you know, recent months. Uh, Home Point in a similar boat. And, and both of these companies have stocks that are trading in the ones right now. And, uh, you know, I, I would have to think that their actual value as, as companies and, um, you know, as, as potential players in this market is a lot higher than, you know, a, a dollar as a stock. But um, that does mean that there are potential companies out there. Maybe there are private equity companies. Maybe there are, you know, other, other players that say, we can we can turn these around or we can combine them with another venture we can you know figure out a way to to grow much bigger and uh you know that's that's historically when when you make good bets when you know you can buy uh, an asset or a company at a pretty good price maybe you know below much below book value i would think and uh and then you go from being say the number 15 originator in the country and suddenly you're, you're number 6 right and uh you know, you probably didn't want to do a whole lot of acquisitions in 2020 and 2021 because you're going to be paying a premium for any, you know, any company. And, uh, but that's not, not quite the story now. Right. So, um, I'm, I'm really interested to see how it shakes out. I, I do think we're going to see way more mergers and acquisitions. We've, we've heard of a number of late that we're still doing the reporting on. Um, but I, I would expect that we're going to have probably, five or six chunky stories that we publish over the next two months about a major lender either being acquired or merging with another, you know, very big lender. I think it's interesting to note that when it comes to those acquisitions, you know, you have Ken Ritchie of Ritchie May and Company, who who doesn't see so much action there um, as other people do, right? He feels like, you know, right now the the number of buyers in the market exceeds the number of sellers. But of course that could change as things, you know, if things get worse, then you have more sellers, but um, that their research shows that may not be that much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he makes a really interesting point. He basically concluded that, you know, even though the IMBs have lost money, they haven't lost so much money that they're in a position where, Oh God, you know, we're going to have to turn the lights off if we don't find a partner, if we don't find someone who will, who will buy this asset. And so, you know, it, it's not that they haven't lost significant portions of their equity, according to, to Ken Ritchie. It's, it's just that it's, it's probably not enough that would force them to sell, uh, right now. And, uh, 
you know, like you said, Sarah, it's it's the kind of thing where that may be true right now, um, but we've only just gone through two really bad quarters, right? Most people did okay in Q1. Q2, we really started to see about, you know, half or more of the companies starting to lose money. Third quarter, once the numbers do come out from the MBA, I think we're going to see probably closer to 75% lost money in the third quarter. Um, and then you look at where we are now in the fourth quarter. I mean, who's who's making money? Who's who's making big profits when, you know, mortgages are in the sevens? You know, very few, very, very few. Uh, so, yeah, you know, what, what Ken says may be true right now. I, I think if this climate does continue into the next quarter into Q1, if, if we still have mortgage rates in the high sixes, low sevens, you know, yeah, that 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 equity loss is going to be a lot higher and, and they're going to be forced to sell. Well, you know, I don't think that there, unfortunately, is any anybody saying, oh, we're going to have, you know, rates come down a lot. Uh, because we know that the, as you said, this is the Federal Reserve's kind of one thing they have to do. I mean, they, I mean, they don't have a lot of levers to pull, and they've been very clear that this is the lever they're going to continue to pull. Um, so, which really leads into our next story, uh, which was the Fannie Mae monthly forecast, uh, which came out um, just a few days ago, and doesn't look great. No, <laughs> that's no, a, and, is that a nice way to say it? it doesn't yeah, no, look I, I great. wish I wish there were. Uh... A nicer way to frame it, but no, I, I think that's that's quite right, Sarah. So every month that we we write these up, the forecast worsens, right? Like the outlook gets a little bit darker. And so their economic and strategic research group just came out with the new numbers in uh, I want to say it was on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. In any case, uh, their prediction is that we're going to drop from, I believe. I believe we're going to drop 18% in uh, total single-family home sales this year to about 5.64 million units in 2021, and uh, you know that's quite a bit worse than even September's projection, which was uh, a 17.2% drop in total home sales this year. And of course, that also means that mortgage origination activity is going to be much smaller as well. We had, I think it was like around 4 billion last year, right? Something like that. And this year we're staring at 1.6 trillion. And next year, 2023, it's projected to slip even further to 1.3 trillion. Um, I actually think that might be a little generous. If we see mortgage rates in the sixes and sevens for the first two quarters, at least, right? I don't think like there, there's going to be much of a mini refi boom, even if you know uh, rates do drop down back into the fives in the latter half of 2023. And so 1.3 trillion, you know that that could look rosy, um, and and that's how bad things are, right? And so um, over the last few weeks, we we've seen that rates have been pretty consistently in the sevens. You know, I, I checked yesterday, and they're around seven one four, right? And one no refis right refis are down like ninety something percent from last year, which is to be expected. Um, and and the inventory that is there, you know, a lot of it is is just stale. It's just you know sellers that haven't quite adjusted their expectations because the buyers aren't as well equipped as they were last time they were considering selling. And uh, you know, so so that brings us to the next point, Sarah, which is what do home price declines look like? 
but some people don't think they're going to decline at all. Uh, and, and this is really interesting. There are so many different opinions out there. I feel like every time I, I check my Google alerts and I look at, you know, home price forecast, uh, you know, there, there's a, a new economist group or some report out there that says they're, they're going to be, you know, 8% lower next year, or they're going to be 3% higher next year, or they're going to be 5% higher next year, or they're going to be even, you know, they're going to be flat. They're going to be, you know, down big time in, in the hot markets like, you know, Silicon Valley and in Austin and Boise, but they're, they're going to go up a little bit in, you know, um, other Sunbelt regions. And it's just, I mean, obviously people aren't guessing, right? These are based on projections and how you interpret the data and, and you're expecting, you know, the economic forecast to go in 2023. But I mean, just the huge variance, huge range in projections to me says we just don't know enough about where the market is heading. Um, what we do know is the Fed is going to continue to raise rates all through this year and most likely um, you know, through the first quarter of next year. So will it continue to the second quarter? I think that's going to be the largest determinant as to whether home prices fall um, or not. But again, we, we just don't have enough information right now. I think one of the really interesting uh, pieces of that puzzle is the new listings data, which no one expected to <laughs> lock up quite the way that it has, right? I mean, inventory was already at an all-time low and then it just keeps going lower because, you know, we, we've talked about a mortgage rate lockdown and, and the possibility of that. Um, not sure we're fully in that, but definitely you see just the reticence uh, of, of sellers going, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not putting my ho home on the market unless there's some, you know, people are still buying houses. People are still moving, buying and selling because, you know, there's some people every year who have to do that. But if you're tucked into that really cozy low rate. You're, you know, you have no incentive to do that. And what, what we're hearing is just people saying, okay, well, let's, let's wait until, you know, until things are less crazy. It's not even so much that they're like, it, it's more uncertainty. You know, we're very familiar with exactly what this might look like or all the forecasts. Your general person out there is just like, it seems really crazy. I don't know. I'm not going to get as much. I'm just going to wait. And, and the real key will be like towards, you know, in the first quarter towards that spring selling season, are you going to have people who put their house on the market? Because if they don't, if we continue to have the kind of listings data that we have now, it's hard to see how prices fall appreciably because there's just so little inventory. Yeah. And, and uh, you also think about home builders and they're not going to build more homes because they, they feel like there is a sense of, you know, <laughs> larger existential purpose related to, you know, the mission of, of housing people in America. I, I know that they do care about, you know, giving people good quality homes, but they act in their own best economic interests. And they are not going to be building homes if mortgage rates are in the sixes and sevens. They're already having to, uh, you know, cut deals with real estate agents. They're already having to provide big incentives. They're already providing, uh, you know, significant price cuts to get deals done because they have a lot of cancellations. They have a lot of inventory homes that they've or tracts that they've already closed on and they're not going to finish construction. They're not going to start construction uh, rather if they don't have a good pool of buyers out there. And so if you factor that in alongside this mortgage rate lockdown, um, it means inventory is probably going to continue to be pretty lean and mean. And 
it's really the worst combination if we have very limited inventory, but we also have very limited, uh, you know, options for, uh, you know, prospective home buyers when it comes to financing. Yeah, there are only so many people who can swing seven and a half percent if prices don't drop, you know, hugely, right? Because just think about how many homes accrued, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% value between 2019 and today. And unless those numbers reverse, you know, it, it just doesn't make financial sense. Or, you know, you just can't swing it financially, even if, it, you know, you'd love to. Um, and so I, I think that, that, gives a lot more leverage to uh, people who are doing build to rent, you know, people who are, um, you know, considering maybe renting the house that they have a low mortgage rate on, you know, and it's, it's going to benefit the rental market for sure. And, uh, you know, there is, there is some promise on more multifamily construction and, and look, you know, we, we need homes of all stripes of all, you know, of all types. And um, it, it, it is unfortunate that it, probably means single family new home construction is not going to keep at pace um, to meet the demand, but, you know, demand only exists if they can actually buy it. There there is demand in, in, you know, the sense that yes, like people want to buy, but if people are not financially capable of doing so, you know, it's not, it's just, it's not going to happen. I think I will say that every conference I've been at, and as I said, this is conference season, right? Um, So I've been in a lot of them. And I think one of the one of the familiar things that people talk about, which is absolutely true, is that in the past, um, you had mortgage lenders uh, who made their margins um, when when rates were much higher than they are now, right? And you also had uh, you know home buyers who were able to buy at that. So part part of this is just a really psychological thing about when you saw rates in the twos, and within a few months, you know, were five percent different. Like that's a psychological barrier to get over. Whereas, you know, uh, for instance, I was in a um, a session yesterday, and someone was like, "Hey, you know, when I bought in, gosh, I don't even remember, was it nineteen eighty something or whatever?" They're like, "I I, I paid four points to get eleven percent, and I was really happy with that." <laughs> and we would say for sure, home prices have gone, you know, are much higher than that. So I, I'm not trying to be like, oh, boomers, I bought my house. Right. For, like, yeah, the, the guy paid $64,000 in, you know, 1987 but, or whatever. So, But I mean, I would say that, you know, part of this is like, it just feels like this is a, you know, it's really hard to get over. So, I, so I'm not at all, you know, downplaying the fact that home prices have risen quite a bit, but definitely wages have, have risen since then too. If I told you what I made when I started out, you would, um, you know, it, it's pretty scandalous. <laughs> Actually, but yeah, I mean, my God, my, my first job, I was, I was literally on food stamps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, but, but imagine but, in the last, you know, you know, 30 years. So <clears throat> sure, anyway. but wage growth is not, you know, kept up with home price growth. Right. And that's, that's really the issue here. And the fact that there just aren't a lot of houses that you can, you can buy right now. So, there uh, are you know, we, we never really recovered the inventory from, you know, pre-pandemic and given the, the rate lockdown, I, I don't know that we will in, you know, the, the next few years. And, uh, that's, that's really difficult news for the, the many millennials who are, you know, kind of coming of age and, and looking to buy and starting a family. And it's just, you know, it, it's going to push them into different, different types of housing. That's, that's the reality. That is the reality. Oh, I, I hate that. I wish that it, uh, I don't think it could stay, you know, twos and threes really can't stay forever, but you know, 
fours and yeah. fives sound like a great deal right now. <laughs> you know? I think so too. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I am at the uh, American Land Title Association uh, Alta One Conference, and that's been really great. Brooklyn Han had a great story yesterday. Um, she went to one of the sessions that's on um, cybercrime. And of course, the title industry, the title companies are really, from my perspective, like they're on the battlegrounds for, for cyber, cyber attacks, whether that's ransomware, business email compromise attacks, wire fraud. I mean, they're facing all of it. And she had a really great story about the, uh, the session that she went to that I'd love to just touch on. Yeah, I, I, I would love to talk about that as well. There was a piece in Bloomberg, I, I think I sent to you on Slack a few days ago uh, about this, this network of, of cyber criminals that are, are basically impersonating uh, title agents and in some cases, real estate agents. And, you know, and, and then they, <laughs> some, some would be home buyer is, is ready to send, uh, you know, wire the money. And then they find out a few days later when the title, the settlement agent says like, Hey, we're, we're ready for the wire transfer. And they go, wait, what, what do you mean? I already sent it. And that's when you realize like, Oh no, I just, gave away $150,000 and it's never coming back. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this. I think it's, you know, I think what strikes me every time we write a story about this is how absolutely on your own you are. If you are a business that has to deal with this, because like you said, I mean, mostly there's very little recourse within, if you don't, especially when it comes to wire fraud, if you don't recover the money in the first like 24 hours, pretty, you know, it's, it's pretty much gone 72 hours. There is no hope of getting it back because it's not like, you know, yes, the secret service is involved. Yes, we have, you know, some, some help, but mostly it's like, what are they going to do? Right. It's not like we have a, a, a great network of, um, people who can track this globally, who can, who can make sure this happens. So from my perspective, it really shows just a vulnerability of, you know, a lot of these title companies are, are smaller companies that, it's just really tough. We saw CloudStar, um, the CloudStar ransom atta- ransomware attack last summer. Um, actually, I guess it's been over two a year summers. now. Two so summers, yeah. yeah, two summers. Wow. Um, so CloudStar was a um, was a platform that many title companies used. It got a ransomware attack, uh, and it it was shut down for months and months. And so that's just you know, so that's on one side. Then you have the whole um, what you talked about, the wire fraud where you wire it and it, and it's just gone and they're just so sophisticated now you know they'll they'll get in and they'll just watch they're very patient they figure out everything about the transaction so that when the time is right they can pose as a title agent and everything seems completely normal right and and this might be this might be you know 17 25 emails in with your title agency so at that point at that point you're like it's fine. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're, I think you're, right. think you're and, and it's little stuff like, down. you know, somebody, you know, changes their email address from uh, an E to a C, right. And you just don't, you just right. don't notice, right. It's just these very, very small details and, and people are so eager and, and there's so much pressure to, to get the deal done. And, um, and, and it does, I, I, I know from having read the Bloomberg story, which is great. And I, I highly suggest people check it out if they can, um, that the, the victims of these, I guess you could call them scams, uh, felt like the title insurance company should have done more to alert them, to warn them, to tell them like, Hey, this is a very real possibility. Like make sure, you know, 
you look at everything before you send anything like or, or you know give me a call first to confirm or you know maybe maybe just an extra step to safeguard uh, against the possibility that that it is actually a group of criminals operating out of you know Nigeria which in in the case of the Bloomberg story was you know was what went down um, so I'm, I'm I'm curious if they touched on that during during this conference Sarah yeah, you know, I don't know if it's just the bias of people who are going to come to this conference, but people here are <laughs> very, very aware of it. I mean, it's it's one of the things that haunts them that they might be part of something that where someone loses all their money for a house. I mean, they, it, you know, it's the last thing that they want. And I know when I bought uh, my house recently, the communication about the wire part of this was so much more robust, even than when I bought a house in twenty twenty. So yeah, and, and to that point, Sarah, you know, when, when I bought my house in Pennsylvania in 2020, I was we, we had just finished reporting about Cloudstar, and I was so spooked by it. I, I made sure to call the title people several times. I had paper documents, you know, I didn't want to send anything, uh, you know, via via email, um, and they told me they're like, yeah, you know, we, we get we get phishing attempts. Every other day, we get there are so many attempts because it's big money, right? Like if you're a scammer, in just by way of example, you know Nigeria, and you could potentially make a hundred fifty thousand dollars in a day. That's huge. Yeah, that is huge. And so, <laughs> and knowing that you know you're basically out of the reach of the U.S. government, right? Like that's it's it's enticing. It's really hard. And so um it, it requires just a ton of money and a lot of vigilance on on you know the part of the, the title insurance company to make sure um that it does go well. But it's it's interesting from my experience, you know, there doesn't seem to be a standard in terms of the security protocols. It seems to vary by one firm or another. And I know that they all stress the importance of, you know, uh staying away from scammers or catching it earlier, you know, having best practices established. But I, I don't know that there is any specific industry standard, you know, to avoid these, what I believe to be avoidable situations from occurring. Well, I think uh, that's true. I also think that because it's a constantly evolving crime that, you know, you put standards into place and, you know, if you agree on standards, you put them into place, you widely distribute them. By the time you do that, you might have a whole different kind of, uh, you know, crime going on. Not that that, not that there shouldn't be standards, but I do agree with you. And that, it's one of the things that um, Thomas Cronkright, who's the CEO of Sun Title Agency of Michigan, and he's also the co-founder of uh, Certified, uh, which is a, you know, something that's trying to stop this. He really stressed during that um, session that Berkeley was at that it, you know, the consumers are, this is, you know, they do this once every how often, seven to 10 years, maybe even less. So it's really on title. It's really on real estate. It's really on lenders, like as a group to make sure that they're being, you know, constantly vigilant because once the email is compromised, all of those players are compromised, everybody. So everybody's in on that uh, email and, now, now you've got a widespread problem potentially. Yeah, right? and it's such a nightmare for the real estate agent too. Yeah, you know, like any, you know, what happens? Okay, so your buyer now is is one hundred fifty thousand short, right? Like all their liquidity is gone, probably their most of their life savings, you know, and and you know what? What do you say? Like, <laughs> uh, good luck. Sorry, like you know, well, we'll call the secret service, but 
you know, the likelihood of you getting the money back is what, 10%, 15%, 20% uh, of so right? Alta said that of all the reported wire fraud incidents that occur each year, only 17% of victims successfully recover their funds. And so that's not, you know, and that seemed high to me, actually. I was like, wow, yeah. 17% got them back. They must have acted right away because, you know, oh, it's just wild. Interesting, because, you know, because they, they route it through so many different banks and then it almost always ends up in crypto. And at that, you know, it's, it's just totally untraceable once it leaves the U.S., it really is. It's wild. Well, James, we are at the end of our time. We had um, lots more to even talk about. Thanks for being on as always and uh, really looking forward to what your newsroom might be doing next. All right. Thanks for having me, Sarah. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insights.